0: And I am intentionally redundant because most of the times our minds have been fed so many negative things until we have to keep hammering away at the false concepts with the truth until our individual consciousness accepts the truth and we are set free. I say whatever good you want, get full of the feeling. If you want to be healthy and you don't have to be sick to pray the prayer for health if you want to be healthy all of your days in this dimension in your consciousness in your own mind entertain the thought the belief the feeling of health get full of the feeling of health and that will keep you healthy it will heal you if you're sick nothing can stop me i'm all the way up Hello everyone and welcome to another episode of the Kinetic Fitness Show. My name is Ali West and I'm your host today and if you are a first time listener with me today, I welcome you. If you are a returning listener or a regular listener, then welcome back. I'm glad you're on board. Happy to have you here with me and if you are a returning listener you may well know that I've not done a podcast for a couple of weeks now, I try and put a podcast out every single week but the last couple of weeks I've been away on holiday, on vacation with my wife in Italy, we went back to the place where we got married so it was our first wedding anniversary and we just had some downtime, really just some time away from the business, away from the gym, away from fitness away from the podcast, I'm not going to lie, we ate a lot, we drank a lot but we had a fantastic time However, I'm back now, back in the UK, back to bring you lots more fantastic topics and fantastic information all centred around health and well-being. On this podcast we cover a different topic each week that's all going to help you to become a better version of yourself and ultimately help you to live a longer, healthier, happier and more joyful life. Today's episode, today's topic is all centred around injury, rehabilitation, injury, prevention and everything that's going to help an individual to get back to what they love doing and get them out of pain, out of that injury that they're suffering with. And if you are a person that's suffering with an injury or has had an injury in the past or are worried that you might get injured and want to know how you can prevent injury, then this is the episode for you. Let me give you a little bit of information about Dr. Claire, and then we'll get started with today's podcast and bring her in and I'm sure she's going to give you lots of fantastic information. Dr. Claire is all about delivering world-class research and training. She has founded a company called Get Back to Sport, which is all about empowering fitness professionals through education, courses, workshop, to be able to deal with clients that are suffering with injuries and ailments, to be able to work in collaboration with other healthcare practitioners such as physiotherapists, to overcome that client's injury and get them back to sport or get back to their function in everyday life. She has a wealth of knowledge in injury prevention, injury rehab and sports medicine and I'm sure she's going to give you a little bit more information about that. So let's not waste any more time, let's bring in Claire and get started and get cracking with another episode of the Kinetic Fitness Show. Okay, so I'm here with Dr Claire Minchell. How are you today, Claire? Very fine, thank you. scorching day. Another hot day here in the UK.
1: (laughs) Just a bit, yeah.
0: Going through a little heatwave for the listeners that aren't in the UK. It's absolutely boiling here at the moment and we're uh, we're all dying.
1: (laughs) Something we're not used to, I guess, in this country. Exactly.
0: Okay, I wanted to dig into a few different areas with you and ask you a few questions. But before we kind of dive into that and pick up on these questions that I want to ask... Can you just give the listeners a little bit of a backstory about who you are, what you do, how you help people, yeah, etc.? Of
1: course. What's your name? Where'd you come from? <laughs> yeah. yeah. <Famous> uh, <laughs> inside like. Uh, so yeah, my my background, um, so basically I did a sports science degree, um, as a you know, kind of undergraduate. Uh, and as I've coming to the end of that I found kinesiology, which absolutely was my passion then. It's like studying muscles, bones, joints. Um, and then from then uh, I was really fortunate, I was um, given the opportunity to meet uh, a consultant orthopaedic surgeon who eventually became my clinical mentor, fabulous guy, he worked with loads of elite athletes and uh, I ended up doing a PhD in a uh, broad area of knee rehab and um, I didn't really know what I wanted to do but I just wanted to, I just loved this topic area so my um, whole theme of research, and to this day, really, is about understanding how exercise affects the body, and how we can tailor interventions to get the most out of the interventions that we're doing, whether it be rehab, conditioning, injury prevention. So I did a PhD, um, then went travelling for a year. <laughs> As, you As you do. you what do I want to be when I grow up? Um, and ended up coming back, um, well, sorry, coming back, back to the UK, but came to Nottingham um, and took a... a Uh, a role at Nottingham Trent University and um, that was me for about nine years there, senior lecturer and I set up and uh, ran the entire stream for sports injuries, rehabilitation, conditioning from uh, undergraduate through to master's level, Um, also supervised PhD students, and my PhD students as well, we're kind of pushing the boundaries of knowledge there Um, and I said doing my own research as well and um, all the while I'm thinking mm, this is great but I want to impact people and this, you know it's great having uh, intellectual knowledge and publishing papers which is so important but how do we give that to you know put that into practical terms with people so I was just thinking about this uh, I was often offered, offered a job then which was purely research in Edinburgh so I led a uh, collaboration between Edinburgh University and Queen Margaret University and the trauma and orthopaedic department of the massive hospital that is the Royal Infirmary of Edinburgh, forging, uh, again, new research into patient care post-operatively and pre-operatively if we, if we could get them, and, um, which I, you know, enjoy doing, uh, but also I was really thinking about how I could kind of step out. So at the end of that two years, I then did step out and set up my own company, so that's Get Back to sport. And um, I can tell you a little bit more about that really, but effectively, uh, that, that's my background. I'm still research active and I've managed to kind of carve out this career where I'm doing all the things that I, do, uh, I enjoy. So doing research and teaching and uh, sharing knowledge with people um, that um, you know, can, can learn from the science that we've, we've published and, and really help other people as well in terms yeah. of their, their rehab, their conditioning, their training even. Um, and then we've got a bigger project, hopefully working with the NHS soon. So that's potted history in yeah. maybe three minutes. Yeah. <laughs> Did well there. I well. usually walk long frames on this, so hopefully that was, wasn't too long.
0: A massive wealth of things that you've been through and <laughs> yeah. areas that you've covered. And there's a few that you mentioned that I want to pick up, particularly in this podcast. But just before we do that, just tell me a little bit more and tell the listeners a bit more about the Get Back to Sport thing as yeah. well, so that we get an idea of what that's all about.
1: So that came about because literally throughout the whole of my career I've been um, asked by people how do I get back to sport from following injury Um, and I've ended up doing kind of things ad hoc for people that would be like putting together an end stage rehabilitation program for people that have had ACL reconstruction um, or you know they've got had an ankle sprain, but they just don't feel ready to get back to sport. And I've I've been so privileged in that I've I've worked in and, and in several different areas, some at the same time, but that's within academia, within the NHS, um, and also in private practice. And I can see from this unique perspective that we've got a real gap here um, that's not being filled which is a management of uh, musculoskeletal conditions which if you encompass everything these problems are you know 30% of GP consultations are because of musculoskeletal conditions the, these problems cost something like eight billion to the, the wow. UK economy per year so whilst the NHS is fantastic uh, at life preservation and um, you know kind of surgical interventions um, and you know the doing their very very best in all that's been thrown at them Um, and I'm so privileged to work still currently uh, contracted uh, to work within the NHS Um, It's just not it's not filling that gap. Yeah, so get back to sport came about because There's a little bit more that needs to be done So that was just from a sports perspective, but the principle remains the same for uh, people with managing conditions such as osteoarthritis of the knee and the hip we don't need to stop exercising in fact we need to exercise to get get better and really great pain and it's just how to how to do that so get back to sport was set up or set that that company up so that i could practically disseminate that knowledge and have a bigger impact than just me yeah so that's providing it does a does a few things really um, it provides or we provide evidence based uh, an innovative training for um, uh, healthcare professionals, so those like physiotherapists, uh, clinicians, also osteopaths, chiropractors, anybody who works with patients that um, provides their, their CPD in terms of how best can you intervene with a patient in terms of a rehabilitation programme, what kind of things do you need to be doing? Uh, what are, you know some redundant effort so there's a whole thing around you know what's three sets of ten do yeah yeah, yeah probably yeah. nothing after the first effort, a session so how can you really tailor your rehab to make sure that that patient is you know really getting the most or the most bang for their buck so yeah. that what the time that they invest is going to reap the, the maximum rewards um, then uh, I also provide training for fitness professionals particularly Personal trainers to to manage injury. So, in order to solve this problem of musculoskeletal conditions in in the community, we really need an innovative approach um, because there's disinvestment in the NHS, and whilst we've got fantastic people in there, we just haven't got enough, and we haven't got enough resources, and we haven't got enough money. So we need an innovative solution, and I see that lying in the fitness industry. So I provide the only certification in injury management that's endorsed by um, the, the industry, which is has uh, inspired us, that upskills fitness professionals to be able to manage these problems that present to them on a daily basis. Yeah. So when I give talks to, to PTs and ask how many people uh, are currently seeing a client with an injury, there's a bit of skirmishing around, you know, a third of the people at least put their hands up, and then maybe there's a bit of a grey area because really we shouldn't be seeing people with injuries. Yeah. But it happens. It really it does. So... Um, that's the, the other element to you know in terms of training and education again it's all evidence based and but practical. What can you really do to, to improve that patient uh, client in, in that situation that client's rehabilitation journey safely and effectively <clears throat> and then the third thing is that we're um, working with the NHS so the bigger bigger picture is to provide an exercise referral scheme for management of knee and hip osteoarthritis uh, and that will be utilising those upskilled fitness professionals so we're looking for those people who've got that knowledge that we're we're imparting through the certification such that these people that, that have got these problems need to strengthen fundamentally, they need to be active to moderate their pain and function and improve their quality of life ongoingly. So we're uh, at various stages of, of discussion with various um, clinical commissioning groups or arms of the NHS in different parts of the country <clears throat> to look to implement that. And that, I see that really as being the, the next big innovation in, in healthcare and, and fitness. So the, the kind of strap line for the business is, is m- driving collaboration between fitness and, and health. There's a massive gap at the middle, yeah. mid- at, at the minute, in the middle. Um, I mean, to bridge that gap um, because you know, it just makes absolute sense.
0: That's awesome. <clears throat> Empowering the fitness professionals.
1: <laughs> well, yeah, um. I mean, they, they see it on a daily basis, but yet all of the training for PTs basically is you get a problem and then there's no knowledge beyond that, refer on, yeah. refer on, refer on, and fine. Definitely, you don't treat, you don't diagnose, and you don't try and do something that you're not equipped to to do. Absolutely, you're not a clinician, but you're in a really important position. You can massively impact that person that under your, you know, kind of training under your care, if you like, as as a client. Even just a positive conversation will set them off on a a more likely positive rehabilitation journey than, or will be you know, oh my God, your knees hurting. and it's learning about not just what you can do in terms of exercise adaptation, it's about how you can link in with physiotherapists. So you're providing this continuity of of care or or training and also how you can communicate with with these clients. So often, maybe PTs aren't so experienced in talking to people with injury, certainly the newly qualified ones, and and it can be really intimidating or really scary. Oh my God, I'm gonna break somebody. So that comes across in your conversation. So it's, there's a psychology stream to it and understanding how people relate to their own injury, understanding how to talk to people, um, without telling people how to okay, suck eggs, obviously, but just a communication um, you know, it's so empowering or potentially disempowering. I'm sure the yeah. listeners have, have experienced that for themselves if they've ever been injured or indeed in a situation where some advice is given to you. If it's a, oh my God, you oh, so it's, it's all negative, it's negative. You feel really rubbish. Yeah. Uh, versus, well, actually, you know, this is okay. You've got you've got a problem. We'll find out the best way to deal with this. In the meantime, look, there's these types of things you can do in, and you know. Um, I can help you refer on to this person, and we'll look after. You, you, this the whole uh, communication is so important. It's just, it's a start point of of that person's rehab yeah. journey. Um, so no, that's yeah.
0: great. I think from my personal experience of like over ten years in fitness, I think with a lot of personal trainers, you've mentioned it already, is that kind of fear factor is like, yeah. but on two like twofolds, like the fear of actually like speaking to the client and saying or you've got an injury, or knowing how to deal with that client, but then the other thing you mentioned was actually communicating with other health practitioners, yeah. and I think sometimes you think, oh, i am stepping on their toes? Should I communicate mm-hmm. with them? And there's a bit of, like, I don't know, fear or an ego. Mm-hmm. So if you can bridge that gap and, and try to change that, then that's fantastic what you're yeah. doing, that's brilliant.
1: I recommend it in every lecture, talk, seminar, course that I run, establish a link with a, even if it's one person, one uh, private physiotherapy practice, or one person who is uh, a practicing physio uh, privately, establish that link. Now, it's not bad for business; it's good for business. For sure. And if you are putting that person at the centre of that care pathway, it's better for them. So they're not dropping off the face of the earth each time they, they go see see somebody, and it's a uh, the communication is lost. You've got a seamless transition between professions of physiotherapists. Well you know, some are thoroughly excellent and will know heaps about strength and conditioning for example. Even if they did, they don't have the time to yeah. do that with them. Um, and also the environment, you know, physiotherapy clinic, very few are kitted out to be able to do that. So it's, it's a rare uh, situation where you'll be treading on each other's toes. Um, and that will always crop up and people, you know, don't be fearful in, in talking to, to physios. If they're not interested, they're not interested. You will find somebody that is. And yes. then what you've got is a mutual referral. Exactly. So you've got your client, because ultimately you want the best for your client. They want the best for their patient. And it's the same person. I'm just talking a different different label. You see somebody who's, who's got potentially an injury, you can refer them on to your uh, physiotherapist's contact. Also, importantly for the PT, it provides that clinical backstop and that just sounding board got this person they're presented with you know I saw me, it's just it's really like a second giving... opinion as well basically. it is and it's a clinical opinion you yeah. know I'm, I'm thinking I want to do this with them this with them um what do you think I'll send them over to see you and you know you've got their opinion there and then and also you know if they come back with um you know some they've had some treatment maybe they need to do a couple of extra different exercises because you're upskilled in that area you can get them through those exercises and do the rest of the training with them that you've designed to to moderate or to manage that that
0: condition. Yeah, it's great. We work with one here at Kinesthetic. Yeah. We've got a physio. She's so, already been on the show. Oh, awesome episode four or five. Catherine at Arcadia Physiotherapy across the road. So just give her a plug there. On this. Yes. yes. <laughs> so yeah, nothing. if you haven't listened yeah. to that one, guys, the physio one's a great a great podcast episode as well. Right, let's dive into some of these questions that right. I want to ask and yeah. see, see where we go. Wow. Um, don't think you've answered any of them already, so let's get cracking. Yeah. The first thing I want to dig into is some of the stuff you mentioned already, is like the injuries and the ailments and the problems that yeah. people are suffering with. So, not just athletes, but just the that, general public. Yeah. Why do you think so many people suffer with ongoing injuries and niggles? What kind of things are Well,
1: there? let's say- a multi-level answer there. Um, so, as I said, musculoskeletal conditions are the single most uh, cause for, for absenteeism and work. So they, they contribute massively to, to economic uh, deficit, if you like, lost productivity. And also, personally, the, how people feel, you know, quality of life, depression. It can be really painful and really debilitating. And the reasons for... Musculoskeletal conditions can be can be varied, so it could be a traumatic injury. So there's a single inciting event where either, so if you you know you for a sports person you get clattered by somebody else, or you twist and turn and you pop your ACL, or if you're not, maybe you just step off the curb awkwardly and um, you know you sprain your ankle. Um, Other other reasons, um, which you know comes under the category probably of of work-related disorders. We sat at a desk all day. Well, we're doing now. Yeah, sat we sat down. down. <laughs> we're not, we're stood, we're stood jogging on the spot. <laughs> where people sit all day from, you know, at a desk off, often looking at a computer screen. So there's, there's limited um, change in posture. And we become, the body's an amazing thing. It adapts to the stimuli or lack thereof that's applied to it. So yeah. if you're sat on your ass all day, looking at a computer screen, you're not using the musculoskeletal system um, very much. So then you maybe start to get some aches around the lower back or maybe you get the RSI or, or um, neck pain because of the postures that you're adopting in, in daily life and then when you start to come out of those postures it presents as a problem. And what's happening is we've got a lack of conditioning. That's basically it. So most low back pain, for example, will really benefit from exercise and strengthening. And indeed, that's one of the first lines of treatment that's that's advocated. If it's, again, not a a traumatic injury or or disc pathology that's that's causing some some, uh, really big issues. So there's a deconditioning element that, that goes along with what otherwise would be a healthy population if we're assuming we're eating correctly. <laughs> yeah. And then you've got things like age-related conditions uh, like osteoarthritis. So when I mentioned osteoarthritis before, the knee and maybe hip, maybe you're assuming that's a really old population. But it's not. It's, if we were to x-ray um, the knees of, uh, let's say, 100 people, um, age 45 and over, we'd find de- degeneration in many of those people. Yeah. And many of those people if not all, we don't know, will have symptoms. So kind of a degenerative uh, process is, is natural. It happens with aging. And some people may um, suffer symptoms more quickly than others and some may not suffer them at all. So what we do know is imagery, so scanning, x-ray, et cetera, does not correlate with how a person feels in terms of how they report pain. There's no correlation there. So the reasons for doing imagery is to assist in, once you've decided on a uh, potential pathway of treatment. <clears throat> so, um, uh, also, as I said before, in terms of osteoarthritis of the knee, if you've suffered knee injuries before, if you've had maybe an ACL rupture that you've not had a reconstruction there, you've had um, other operations within the knee to take away some of the cartilage, or what's actually called a that's it, yeah. Um, But we commonly call it cartilage in the the media uh, for some reason. It's probably easier to say. (laughs) Then some of these things can mean that you suffer a little bit earlier from osteoarthritic changes, Um, and that might be people in the 40s. You know, um, maybe Is it research to show that? Yeah, then? absolutely. Yeah. Okay. yeah, yeah. So Sorry. sports-related injuries can mean that this this condition, not in everybody, but might be a risk factor to these other things presenting earlier. And then you've got um, like the whole genetic component and you know, things that that may explain why people suffer and other people don't. Yeah. So you know, it's, it's as I say, it's kind of multifactor. It's due to acute trauma. It's due to poor conditioning, and we might need, under there, poor rehabilitation and prehabilitation, you know, following uh, injury and and or surgery, and then we've got like a a natural process of ageing that we need to manage, Um, so that's why every opportunity I say, it's arguably even more important than people who are ageing engage in strength (laughs) training, because of this age-related decline in, in muscle mass and strength, which is... Depending on which source of literature you read, it's between one and five percent per year after the age of fifty. So, it's it's really important.
0: Yeah, I read something not long ago as well about the uh, osteoporosis uh-huh. with it being about a one in five in men over the age of <clears> forty-five. <throat> I think it wasn't one in three in women. So brittle bones. Osteo- so. Osteopor- osteoporosis uh, like yeah, arthritis, yeah. right? Yeah. yeah. yeah, yeah so. Yeah. That's high as well, so even more reason to yeah. to do strength so, and conditioning. Yeah, sure. like the
1: tissues respond to stress, whether it be bone tissue, whether it be tendon tissue, whether it be ligament tissue, whether it be muscle tissue. It's just that we can see what happens with muscle. We stress muscle through, let's say, a, a hypertrophy training or a, a size focused training, and we can see muscles responding size. Likewise. We stress bone and we stress t- uh, tendons and we stress ligaments in the right way and give them enough time to recover, then they improve in strength and, and, um, and condition. Yeah. Similarly, we de stress them, so like muscles atrophy and get, get, get smaller, weaker. get weaker. Same happens to bone, same happens to tendon,
0: ligament, all that kind of tissue. So. Cool. What about the rehab side of things then? So, why do you think? Most people don't rehab properly. Somebody might have had an injury, I don't know, let's take a, a sprained ankle or maybe some trauma to the knee, um, but they don't necessarily rehab that area properly. Why do you think that is?
1: Again, it depends, doesn't it? It really depends. I think probably, if, if we're being really brutally honest, the provision of rehabilitation opportunities is... Fairly sporadic and, and, if we're being quite harsh, bleak um, for proper rehabilitation. So that's not just one or two sessions for an ankle sprain. It's, you require a lot more. Yeah. Um, and how much more will be determined by how severe their injury is. But we don't have that capacity within the NHS to um, cater for everybody individually on a systemic or systematic basis across the entire country. So there are pockets of places where you will get the treatment that you need. So, for example, where I do my uh, research and all my collaborative clinical links at the uh, Orthopaedic Hospital in, in Oswestry in Shropshire, fantastic service, fantastic sports surgery. Which is, as you, you know, if assuming that, that we're do, kind of doing all the, the research there, you'd assume that the, the, re, uh, the rehabilitation second to none, and it is. So <clears throat> you'll get the. You get what you need there but it's unfortunately it's not, it's not the same across
0: the board <clears throat> it's
1: not so I think provision is one thing which is, again if you are a fitness professional just really reflect on this you are at the forefront here of, of being able to capitalize on a brand new market but uh, where I come from is let's try and make people better and the provision of end-stage rehabilitation within a gym you think about how many gyms there are, think about how many personal trainers there are. I think, you know, if you get this certification, you can do extra rehabilitation with people or provide those opportunities, then, you know, the, the chances that they will fully rehabilitate or fu- re- rehabilitate to full function are potentially far greater. And then some things that, down to the person, you can't, you can't take a pill for rehab. you can't. Yeah. Take, you know, everybody you got, got want to do it, I suppose. Exactly. exactly. I was just talking yeah. about this today with, with somebody. People... Not stereotyping everybody or a blanket approach across every person, but there's a there's a want for instantaneous results. Um, Same with weight loss, and exactly. You got a pill for weight loss. Have you got a pill for weight gain? Like steroids. Have you got a pill for rehab? Have you got a pill for in- intellect? You know, it's kind of, it's cramming for exams. Have you got? You know, so yeah, uh, it requires. Effort and, and time, um, so you as your mind might adapt and, and learn new things, that takes time to rehearse that and embed it. Likewise, the musculoskeletal system needs time to adapt to the stimulus that you apply to it, and you can't just choke at all you imagine cramming all your 12 weeks of, of programming into one session, it just doesn't work like that, yeah. even you know. So, um, there's a need, a real need to, um, to, to want to do it and engage with I think there's it. a lack of
0: knowledge as well, not just. Not just from the individual that's actually injured, but a lack of knowledge from the person that's providing the care as well. Yeah, yeah,
1: they can be, they can for sure. And um, I'm not bashing anybody here by, by any means. Um, that can be compounded as well by Dr. Google. So there's yes. so much on the internet that um, may or may not be correct. And everybody's got an opinion. And in this crowded space, everybody's competing for... For airtime, competing for clicks and business, and unfortunately, sometimes those people that shout the loudest um, get the most traffic, then have the most success in terms of their bottom line. But what they're advocating it doesn't doesn't mean that it's an evidence-based approach. Yeah. So all the while we're pushing the boundaries of knowledge and. Um, learning more and more about how the musculoskeletal system adapts um, and breaks down and so inherent within that you know we can't sit on our haunches and assume that we know everything once we've learned something then then we know everything we need to continue to to learn of, of which which I do you know I would far from it know everything yeah um so that you know I think we need to continue to engage in, in in learning within these professions
0: yeah cool right that's a few of the problems then I spoke yeah. about let's talk more about kind of solutions and stuff then so why did you with the whole get back to sport thing why have you particularly like focused on empowering fitness professionals to to spread your message and to upskill them what you know, <laughs> sound reason? like a
1: preacher moment <laughs> <Yeah. laughs> <That's laughs> disciples yeah. yeah why did you choose yeah. that as your disciples <laughs> <laughs> I really did it, and I'd, I'd be I'd be uh, honoured if if people wanted to uh, kind of study the courses that I've written. Um, the reason why I did that is because I can make a bigger impact than just me. Yeah. Um, and whilst I, I love interacting with people and offering one to one or one to group, uh, I do very little of that now. Um my what I'd really like to leave behind, without sounding big headed, is a legacy where we've changed the way that we manage musculoskeletal conditions for the better and time and time again we've seen that we just can't do it in the way that it's being done right now and we need a solution that looks that's different it requires an out-of-box thinking if you like and to me it's, it's blatantly obvious because we've got a workforce that are and we have I don't know. Is it something like forty thousand personal trainers yeah, in it's the big UK? Number. Yeah, it's going up every year. <clears throat> I believe. It. Right. Yeah. So we've got a huge workforce, and not everybody's going to be interested in rehab. That's fine. But forty thousand people already, even if we have ten you know, percent of those people, that's far more than we're recruiting. You know, in terms of physiotherapists, when there's a, a lack of uh, physiotherapists in the NHS, and the number of applications actually, well, they're coming down. They're not going up ev- every year. So, and and then, obviously, that needs funding by the government, doesn't it? So, if we look at this innovative approach, for me, it involves an existing workforce. Not just an existing workforce, but existing facilities. So, again, you've got sporadic kind of provision, or lack thereof, of gym facilities. So, resistance equipment. You need resistance to to develop strength. You can't do body weight stuff forever. You just don't get the overload. So, there's a sporadic... Um, provision of that in, in rehabilitation centres and clinics uh, in the NHS and indeed actually in private practice um, so it, it just made complete sense to me and having spoken to many many personal trainers it's something that is seen on a daily basis within a gym and maybe a daily basis with each you know, with a personal trainer so why not if they're asking for that information, provide information in the right Context, So I never say, you know, or infer that you're able to diagnose or or treat. But likewise, I don't believe in holding back that information, you know, in the basic training. That's something completely separate. Don't look at that. That doesn't help anybody. Just by telling people or informing people, this is how the body gets injured. This is what happens in terms of remodeling. This is the prognosis for... um, an ACL reconstruction. Uh, these are types of populations that will get these different types of injuries. So that you know, that's making <laughs> viewers. I think it does uh, slightly insulting that if you don't give that, you know, if you, the, the reason for not giving that information is that people might assume they're there, therefore able to go away and suddenly become a clinician. Um, but nonetheless, information helps, and then give the structure within which you can operate. So that scope of practice. What are the boundaries? Yeah. Um but importantly, you know, what can you do, what can't you do, and when you you know where the limits are, but it doesn't just stop there, forge those links with those clinicians. So it just made you know the, the infrastructure's there, we just need consultancy education and training around that.
0: Yeah. And a system, I guess, the system, to make which it is work.
1: why we're we're speaking with the NHS, yeah.
0: Perfect. Right, let's do a little scenario.
1: Okay.
0: I'm Ali West. I've got let's say I've had a back problem, maybe some trauma there, lower back's giving me jit. I go to the gym to see a personal trainer that's gone through one of your courses, Mm has been educated through Get Back to Sport. How will that differ from me going to see another trainer and what kind of results might I expect to get from from that person, from that trainer?
1: You may or may not have seen a number of, of clinicians. Let's uh, say I have. You have. <laughs> well, I can give you a, a really good situation where there's a, a a chap who thought he'd pulled his groin, uh, and he, he was two years within the NHS. Had something like eight X-rays, seen two clinicians, two physiotherapists, um, an osteopath. Uh, basically, just nothing. He was a former bodybuilder and he couldn't he couldn't walk across the road. Mm-hmm. Seven weeks of. of Functional kind of uh, conditioning. He was, he was back, he was back doing what he wanted to do. Yet they were going to op- operate on him. Wow. <clears throat> so, and there's these scenarios that are probably um, cherry picking the ones. But effectively, what you'll be doing as that as that client, you'll be seeing somebody who is one able to talk to you and empathise, understand your problem, rather than uh, fear of God. Yeah, oh yeah. no, no, what do I do? And feel comfortable in not knowing what the answer is. You don't have to have the answer. And also, what, as I said, I encourage is that there will be that clinical link somewhere. So you'll have somebody you would be able to refer them on to and or check in with. And then, then it's all about understanding what that problem is for that person. What are their limitations? And their limitations are likely going to be pain-driven. So usually that's why people uh, complain. It's not... Apart from maybe an ACL injury, which is instability, you would, um, usually it's pain, maybe. discomfort. Yeah. Discomfort. Find out what their job is. You know, maybe maybe it's just the artifact of having a desk-related job, and then they want to suddenly become more active, and then that activity, that overload, that stress, is um, it's incompatible with their current conditioning. So the the personal trainer will find out a little bit more about their background, and then through the techniques that they learn um, in the uh, practical parts of the course. They learn about exercise adaptation and how you can change exercise to um, avoid eliciting people's symptoms. So we know that strength and conditioning of the musculature is important for joint stability. So strength is a foundation upon which everything else is built. Um, so if that low back is lacking in strength and conditioning, probably endurance as well and probably some power, then it's likely going to require some um, intervention to improve muscle strength, muscle endurance, muscle power, and separately. So you don't do everything all at once because they compete against each other. Yeah. Um, and then, I would, um, so from the client perspective, I would hope that they would feel looked after. So. They feel like they've got a progressive plan in place, which might not happen in day one. And it, you know, the first session, it's about a process of discovery. <clears throat> and this happens within physiotherapy clinics as well. There's an assumption made based on their assessments, what the problem might be, generate a series of treatments and or exercises and figure out whether that's having a positive effect. Or if that person's getting some <clears throat> symptoms, then you can moderate. So likewise for for the um, for the personal trainer, um, and a you know, whole program will be structured over, I'm guessing, two three sessions, such then that that individual is able to recondition and engage in the things that they want to engage in more quickly than if they were just kind of going to step in and out of a of a training session. Yeah, Maybe or, do Google a, it. or Google <laughs> it. or will Google it. I'll do a bit of a boot camp. Or do a It needs to be progressive and it needs to be structured. And and framework to work off. Exactly. As I said before, if you try and do everything in one session, it's not going to work. And if you've got pain, it's likely to elicit pain. And it needs to be progressive. So whilst we're talking about developing strength, if somebody's never done a strength training program, you wouldn't hit them with, you know, give me five reps maximum on your deadlifts. Three sets, <laughs> they'd never come back yes, because it's yes. so sore. So it's a progressive approach.
0: Yeah, makes sense. I guess as well from the client's point of view when they start to come out of pain or start to move forward, then the confidence and all that all associated with it's going to go absolutely through the roof. Absolutely,
1: and and it will be a, a relation like you've got a relationship with your clients already. um rather than it be a didactic relationship you shall do this you shall do that it's, it's a discussion as well so how was that for you you know did that hurt or were you getting any stiffness or no that's fine or if i go a bit further in the range then i get a little bit of pain okay that's fine we'll just pull back on that pain uh, on that range so we don't elicit that pain okay session four um feeling quite a bit better still getting this issue um before that trainer's already contacted the physio. Right, let's. Let's see what, you know, Michael's got to say um, and go see him for a session and, you know, that kind of thing. So it's a progressive approach and, and all bases are covered so that that person feels looked after. They feel like they're in a place where, you know, that people know what they're talking about and if they they're lacking the knowledge, they're not going to make it up. They yeah. kind of source it from somewhere. That that's one thing I wanted
0: to point out that you mentioned right at the start of me asking you that question was, you said about if you don't know the answer, then that's okay. It's, yeah. And I think from my experience, and I've probably even done it myself right at the start of my career, it's like a lot of trainers try and blag it and pretend like, oh yeah, well, it's definitely your piriformis or your uh-huh. hamstrings or whatever. And it's, if you don't know the answer and you are a fitness professional listening to this, and you don't know the answer, it's okay to say, I don't know. But what you can do is say, I do know someone that might know, and I'll go and ask them and get a second opinion. So that's a good thing to yeah, do. Yeah, it's so, really... And it takes... And not try and wing it.
1: Yeah, I mean, I did it right at the beginning of my career. Tried to wing something that was in a presentation, and I got shot down. Yeah, come back really? to the audience It does, sure. yeah. And I guess everybody's got that learning experience. So, you know, if you don't know, and if you're a... Um, a client or somebody who trains with a PT, you know, and you're listening to this, it's for me. If your trainer doesn't know and you feel confident in them otherwise, it should be actually, for me, it'd be another sign of per- confidence in that individual. Yep. I don't know the the answer. I'm not gonna blag it. I'm not gonna try and pull a wool over your eyes. I'm, they will probably be a really good trainer. they are probably going to try to find out the answer yeah, for exactly. themselves. They and they've was. probably got some really good uh, support network behind them as well. So, yeah, n- nobody's got all of the answers. Correct. Um, but as long as that, you're doing it within a safe, operating within a safe framework, then, um, you know, you kind of work it out.
0: Perfect. Right, let's talk about... Results and research as well because okay. everything's research-based nowadays and it's good to have that behind it as it gives it a bit more clout, doesn't it? <laughs>
1: well, it's an evidence to do yeah. what you're doing, yeah.
0: Exactly. Firstly, results. Like, using the methods that you teach and that you've used over your career, what personal results you have you seen yourself? Because I know something that probably the listeners don't know, <laughs> that you had an injury yourself. So yeah. let's maybe talk about that and let and what some of the techniques that you've used to to, to rehab okay, so
1: yeah, I've I've sat in all of the uh, the camps from uh, being a, a academic and a researcher and a athlete. I've also been a patient, <laughs> so I've got all the perspectives. So I can really understand and empathise what it's what it's like to feel like you're in pain or feel restricted. So I've I've had a a, a couple of things that have been quite substantial, had an ACL reconstruction.
0: Snap. <laughs> uh,
1: yeah. I've <Not> had one. <laughs> um, and that's what happens, isn't it, it goes snap. <laughs> yeah, um, correct. At the time, I was studying my PhD, and I was developing a um, a new way of rehabilitating ACL injuries. That uh, an irony. Yeah. I've really wanted to, it's usually the other way around, isn't it, you get interested in something when it, when it happens to you. Uh, no, I just wanted to feel empathy with my patients. <laughs> Um, So that was enhancing um, the switch-on times of muscles and the development of force of muscles. So strength's really important, but we mustn't forget that, for example, injuries happen really, really quickly. So for an ACL, that happens in less time than it takes to blink an eye. So when you think about that, that's rapid. So we need the ability to switch on muscles very, very quickly and and in, in anticipation if you're looking at proprioception as well. So my um, rehab was focused on um, how to bring about those changes. And the the model is applicable to all synovial joints, all joints in, in the body. Um, it's just the way that the, the joints move and the muscles that surround them is the way that you just kind of tailor that training. So I was fortunate enough to be able to... Um, kind of experienced that and put myself through that in collaboration with my um, colleagues then at the, at the hospital. So I had the, the best surgery um, and I was able then to kind of continue with that, with that rehab. So so personally I've been in a, a really privileged position which also informed me wanting to set up get back to sport because most people are really floundering when it comes to uh, what do I do, where do I go? And you're reliant, therefore, on people that you assume know what they're talking about. Yeah. Um, and again, I'm not bashing anybody here. Many, many people do. But how How do you know? How do you know what's right? How do you know um, that that's going to get you back to what you want to be doing, uh, and if it's indeed possible? So some of the results we've said, you know, rehab from an ACL reconstruction, um... Yeah. I've had a, a, a discectomy, so I had a, um, a part of a, a lower uh, lumbar vertebra disc removed <laughs> and uh, nice. rehabbing from that, yes. Um, so those you know, personal results, of, I've managed to uh, employ what, what I, practice what I preach effectively yeah. on me.
0: How long did it take you to get back from your ACL to... Uh,
1: so I was back playing basketball in six months. Wow. Yeah. that's really good
0: yeah and then what about the back after that
1: so the back has been a little bit more tricky because I didn't <laughs> a car accident six days after I had my first oh, operation <laughs> so uh, yeah you can yeah. help other
0: people if you're yeah. injured, bit <laughs> you're injured.
1: so I <laughs> <laughs> so, this is over a long career so. <laughs> <laughs> uh, I, I can't in. say anything I've done to say. it's hazardous isn't it I guess playing sports but I wasn't driving either um, so I walked out of hospital actually after the discectomy That was firewood the same day and I was you know kind of just that was more of a mental battle I mean, yeah. you know you used to be so physically active this is now you know winding back your expectations which is again the psychology Why well, that's so important you have to reset your goals you have to uh, make a progressive plan understand you know it's not what you've lost it's what you're achieving it's yeah. all about the journey um and then uh, yeah I was and in i'll a, be on my psychology uh podcast with
0: <laughs> <Jean>. <laughs> <laughs> um
1: so then yeah i was in a car incident um six days later which meant that i had to have i was immobilized in a in hospital bed for a while and uh had to have another surgery. So there's quite a lot of scar tissue around, around there. So I stuff suffer a little bit still from from stiffness, but I, I can um, manage that. I still do most things that I want to yeah, do. I train run, hard as run, well. Yeah, I train hard, run. Um, sometimes deadlift, not so much now, but um, yeah, I do all the things I want to do. So.
0: Okay, this next question's a bit probably a bit broad, so we might need to dial it in a little bit, but what does, what does like the current research say about rehab and the methods that you're kind of teaching at the moment mm. what, how does it correlate and what does the research show to helping people with their okay. injuries and their yeah. ailments
1: so um, I've just written a, a chapter for Elselvia uh, that their main or their only uh, sports medicine um, textbook which is going to be published I think towards the end of this year um, are you allowed like to talk about this? Uh, <laughs> that's a good question Yeah, I think so. (laughs) (laughs) Um, And that's um, really distilling down, I think, probably some some of the most important factors in in sports medicine, in in rehab and in conditioning. Um, And it starts off, and as do most of my courses, it starts off with strength. So what do we understand strength to be? And and this isn't cutting-edge science, right? It's not cutting-edge science, but I've published enough... In the arena uh, to know that what we know in sport and physical performance really struggles to get translated into rehabilitation research so you're still seeing um, strength labeled strength interventions and rehab research using therabands with no real determine you know you've got to have specificity overload and progression to develop a, a any kind of pro, any progressive resistance training program um, and it's lacking in, in many many of, of these really purported excellent studies so it starts off with let's get the basics right so we've got all sorts of different things like occlusion training and you know um, uh, kind of ice bathing and you've got all sorts of different ways of training to get that that edge and that extra bit if we're not doing the fundamentals right then you're yeah. building on shaky foundations and you will get so
0: strength the fundamental yeah so like what do we understand
1: thing. by strength and really if you want to get stronger the optimal way to do that is lift heavy weights very few times So that's three to five repetitions maximum so you cannot do a six with proper form um and not your 10 reps or so 12 reps And importantly, you're going to failure. So it feels very different when you're lifting something up to five times, you can't lift to six, versus lifting something 10, 12 times, you do not get that burning feeling in the muscle. It just feels like your tank is empty. And there's been a misunderstanding for so long um, in the training world, in the rehab world, that... Again, probably because everybody's so busy. We've just forgotten the basics. So everything comes back to that, and then on top of that, then you can start to build power. Then you can start to build, um, uh, let's say, activity-specific um, proprioception or sensory motor performance. So if you're an athlete, then it's great that you've got strength, it's great that you've got power, but if your sport involves multiple changes of direction, landing, taking off, uh, kind of dealing with tackles and impacts then you then need to lay on top of that then all right. the different training strategies um, that that's will progressively <laughs> yeah which will progressively get you to that but you need the right foundations to be able to do that so you, your strength phase is for me arguably it comes first and then it's a maintenance um, that's interesting and then on top of that then also oh, maybe next phase would be something like power um, and then Activity-specific uh, sensory motor like performance. Agility, yeah. yeah, like agility. Yeah, so agility then progression in agility will be um, and, and balance and, and performance. Uh, so proprioception will be maybe you start with standing on one leg. Start with, then you one leg on a trampet. Then you throwing and catching a ball while on one leg on a trampet. Then you jump off the trumpet you have to catch a ball and land with stability, then you jump off the trumpet catch a ball, land with stability, while somebody's just to push you just as you're about to land. Yeah. And then you put that onto the field, so you're then transitioning the field of play, which was, you know, or to the field of play, so you're in a nice controlled environment in the gym, but if you play on grass, grass, yeah, you need to incorporate that, so yeah. it's again progressive.
0: Nice.
1: So all of these, you know, we... we plenty of research in any element of, of how we optimally develop power or rate of force development or develop strength or, you know, um, so for example, stuff that I cover in, in my courses, we bring in some of the, the, the key signs. So what happens if you've got a leg that's casted? Do you have to stop going to the gym? Well, no, we can adapt to activity, and we should do. But, uh, and one of the research trials I'm running right now is, what happens if you train the other leg for strength? And what you see often is a, a cross-education effect. So you can maintain some of the strength uh, or, or reduce the losses in the, the casted limb um, by training the opposite limb in the right manner and for the right period of time. So there's all kind of... you know. Once you've got the, the foundations right, then you can start to use the science optimally.
0: Nice. That's really interesting. <laughs> Different way to look at it, to yeah. respect. Yeah, yeah. That's good. Right, what about... Is there a correlation between the strength that you've talked about, the strength training, and actual injury prevention? Because we spoke most of this podcast about actual rehab, mm. but does the research show that if you get stronger, you get muscles, joints, bones, etc stronger? That there's going to be a direct correlation to injury prevention and, yeah. not, and not getting injured or not. So
1: none. that's the elixir, isn't it? That you know, how, how can we stop injuries from happening? Yeah. Um, and it depends how they, they occur so um, if you're looking from a sports perspective and, and this is a difficult thing because you never can determine exactly what the cause of injury Too many was. Variables, isn't it? You can't measure somebody at the point of injury um, and I'm yet to get through an ethics committee, a study that, that injures people and we can measure <laughs> them at the yeah. same time so we're then relying upon uh, retrospective evidence of what are the risk factors that you know if, these populations exhibited these types of performance characteristics, or, or were low on this, or were anatomically made up like, like this. and we make some assumptions, um, or there might be correlations potentially between the, the injury risk and their uh, biology or their physiology. Um, but we can't say it's causation. Okay. Um, and then to study injury prevention, we need vast amounts of uh, money basically and set up large scales prospectively so from point now we recruit hundreds of people and randomly allocate them to a group that's a treatment group and a group that's normal as in what they normally do Um, and you can imagine if you need hundreds of people in each group they're really difficult things to to do so the prospective randomised control trials is what they're called Um, there aren't um, a huge what the growing numbers over the years but it's not something that you can get done very quickly and those within the field of of sport illustrate that um, warm-up type activities that involve rapid changes of direction, um, sensory motor performance like I said before, the balancing type exercise um, and um, agility work may have some protective effect against injury incidents in team sports, uh, likewise maybe, so if you think about the female athlete compared to the male athlete they're very different anatomically so we've got wider pelvis, um, we've got kind of uh, gene of varum which is basically when the knees come together or not knees yeah. on landing, so it shows that, and we're quadriceps dominant by comparison to, to men, um, and physically we're matching um, for, well relative strength is about the same but absolute strength is, is slightly lower in, in women or it can be a lot lower. So if we correct some of those things, particularly alignment on, on uh, landing from a jump, that may also have some protective effect against knee injury. So all of this is kind of knee injuries. If we look at all the populations, then we're looking at risk of falls and um, again, the, the quality of evidence in terms of strength training, all the populations and measuring falls is slightly or it could be improved given that we're not truly rehabilitating strength or conditioning strength there might be some strength adaptation but there's probably something else as well because yeah. um, although it's getting a lot better but yeah we show that um, strength and potentially power uh, training so the ability to react quickly um, can provide some um, reduction in risk of, of falls and certainly the the consequence if you fall over so if you've got a, a very uh, a strong musculoskeletal system and you do fall over then the risk of fracture uh, is likely, likely less, less. Yeah. versus than somebody who's is very deconditioned so as i said bones like stress as well as as muscles yeah so there's you know some decent uh evidence to show that these factors are really important um, and potentially causative, that if, you, if you've got the converse, so if you're weak, if you slow, if you another thing, vitamin D deficient. Um, and the prospective evidence showing that if we intervene in this way, then the number of injuries in different cohorts is different, so it provides a protective effect.
0: Cool. Deep. <laughs> Interesting. Yeah, I'll, I'll that could right. be a whole it. I whole can do topic. that. Yeah, we can do we'll, that. We'll get you back for that. Yeah. <laughs> right, I'm conscious of the time, yeah. so I'm gonna start wrapping things up. But let's just go with one or so tips on each of these areas, just to leave the the listeners with some kind of practical stuff they can maybe yep. do you straight away. Perfect. If for the guys that are listening that maybe are suffering with injury and they're trying to. Rehab it, yeah. so they're post injury. What kind of one to two tips would you give them to do? And I think I might know the answer, but you just go for it. <laughs> uh, straight away. Uh, what could you really tell a to difficult
1: do? thing. So seek seek a, a credible opinion. Okay, so uh, these often come from from word of, of mouth as well. So if you, you you don't know who to go to. Ask a, a friend or a colleague or somebody that's been to a decent sports physio um, or physiotherapist to get a decent. A decent opinion um, and two, don't train through pain and don't try and train through it, um, yes you might have some discomfort when you're rehabilitating and I use a scale from like 0 to ten, ten being the worst pain ever if you're training up to like 5, 6 and it's continuing to get worse and you know you're feeling worse than th- that night and it doesn't get better, that's, that's a bad sign Yeah. so there will be some discomfort when you're rehabbing but that will go
0: <laughs> uh, I so always say to my injured clients if you walk in here, walk out of here better than you did when you walked in And I've done a, a decent enough job awesome, so.
1: that's a great marker, good litmus there.
0: okay, that's the West, two, two things for um, for actual rehab what about one or two things that people that want to prevent injury can do, so there's people out there may not have suffered for injury but it might be in the back of their mind they might have upped their training they might have started a new sport they might have been playing sport for ages and they don't want to get injured what are maybe one to two things they can do to prevent Uh,
1: okay really difficult because everything's different but let's take the example of um, you're going to do an event so you're up in your training you've got something in mind make sure you've got a structured approach so muscle uh, tendons and ligaments and bones respond at a slower rate than muscles so, while, and, and your cardiovascular system. So, if you're going, let's say you're doing a marathon, you've never done a marathon before, and you reckon you can cram in your training because cardiovascular you feel all right, it's likely that your uh, soft tissues won't uh, condition at the same same rate. Yeah. So, you might get an well, Achilles problem or plantar fasciitis, or you get a bit of compartment syndrome in the lower leg. So, make sure you've got plenty of time to present that overload and that stimulus. Um, and importantly, have the rest and recuperation. So the adaptation happens when you stop. <laughs> so if you're not really stopping for long enough um, and you're continually stressing the, the, the system um, so you can't adapt, then that's when you start to pick up these chronic problems.
0: Okay.
1: Um, and what, what was it thing? Another that's thing, another thing I mean, to... Yeah. Again, don't forget resistance training. Yeah. So even if you are a marathon runner, even if you're an endurance athlete, Strength is a foundation, there's plenty of research now to uh, uh, back up my words, that strength training actually enhances running performance. For sure. So you won't get big and bulky and slow, <laughs> but you will become more resilient.
0: Yeah, I've done that as a mini experiment as well actually, just for the listeners out there. I've had clients where I've trained them up for a marathon just doing running mm. and doing just focusing solely on running different methods and different mm protocols for running and then others where they've just well they've done running and resistance training yeah. and the ones that have done running and resistance training always get better results always uh get through the race more effectively and less aches and pains after so i completely yeah, agree yeah. with what you what you're saying now you've got to do the resistance training even if Watch you want to run in Two thousand. that's it yeah published <laughs> yeah, that one awesome <laughs> that's that's good. Some useful advice there for people. Good. Let's okay. wrap this up then. Let's. Where can the listeners go to find out more about you and what you do? Sure. Website, so, social media. Yeah. So
1: uh, my website is dead easy. It's getbacktosport.com. dot um, The if you want to follow me on Twitter, that's at Claire underscore um, I'm sure you can. I'll you're put the yeah, down in the notes. Please saber. do. Um, and there's also a Get Back to Sport um, Facebook page. And uh, Instagram as well. So those are all the places you can find me. Perfect.
0: Last bit then. I like to finish all of my podcasts with a favourite quote. (laughs) And this could be one of your own. Or it could be someone else's or something you live your life by. Just hit us with a favourite quote to finish.
1: You know what? I I thought about this and I'm I'm useless. I I can't really think of any in, in that. I don't really adhere to these for, for motivation, but what I do is keep grafting. And I guess if you really, if you put something on that, then if at first you don't succeed, try try again.
0: Keep grafting. Keep grafting. I like
1: the first one. <laughs> keep grafting. <laughs> let's put it up on the wall. That's it. We're done. That was brilliant. Loved it. Pleasure. It's been really really cool. Yeah. yeah thanks for that.
0: Thanks. Speed time. I know you're very busy, so I appreciate it. And let's do it again soon. Happy to do that. Happy to. Thank you so much. My pleasure. There you have it, that's a wrap on episode 15 of the Kinetic Fitness Show thoroughly enjoyed having Dr. Claire with us today, shared some brilliant information and I hope you guys enjoyed it that listened in today as always if you need any further help, any more guidance, knowledge, education with your health and well-being, do not hesitate to get in touch with us here at Kinetic Fitness or with myself. You can go over to kineticfitness.co.uk to find out more information about me and us here at Kinetic Fitness. You can follow me on Instagram. My Instagram handle is Ali underscore Kinetic and that's Kinetic with a K, K K-I-N-E-T-I-K and the Instagram handle for Kinetic is Kinetic, K-I-N-E-T-I-K N-O-T-T-M All of those notes and those links are in the description of this podcast, so just click on there and you can find all the information you need and all of Claire's contact details as well. And that's it for today. I look forward to speaking to you again next week. If you haven't subscribed, followed, liked us, then please do that and subscribe to notifications so you can get first dibs when an episode is published and you can listen in and support us and support me here at Kinetic Fitness. Also, don't forget to tell your friends about it, share it with them so they can get this information and you can help them to improve their health and well-being as well. Once again, thanks again for listening and I will speak to you again next week. Have a great week, stay blessed peace and love.